And happy to introduce um, Jamal Cyrus, although I know a lot of you know him well and know his work well. Um, and I'm so pleased that he's going to be doing this conversation. Jamal has an MFA from the University of Pennsylvania and has been featured in exhibitions both nationally and internationally at institutions such as MCA Chicago, ICA Philadelphia, African American Museum in Philadelphia, the Studio Museum, the New Museum, uh, the Contemporary Art Museum. Arts Museum Houston and others. Uh, Jamal's first museum survey was presented at the Blacker Art Museum here in Houston. I'm sure many of you have seen that and went on to travel to ICA Los Angeles earlier this year. Um, additionally, his solo exhibition focused Jamal Cyrus is currently on view at the Modern Art Museum in Fort Worth uh, through June 26th. Jamal has uh, won the Lewis Comfort Tiffany Foundation Award, a Joan Mitchell Foundation grant, an Artadia Houston Award, and the Driscoll Prize awarded by the High Museum of Art in Atlanta. And now I am pleased to hand the mic over to Jamal and Chris for the conversation. So Chris, um, we got serious yes. mood lighting here. <laughs> I, I like to see the people, if it's all right. Can we bring up the, yeah, that, thank you. <laughs> That's yeah. Um, well, I thank everyone for the picture show for inviting me to have this conversation with you. Um, and I'm going to try to put the audience out of my mind as much as possible. Uh, I think that's like the best way. That's funny because I, I like to play to the audience, but okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But then, no, we're doing your work. So we'll have a, some tension going on. Yeah. So I think the first thing I'm, I'm going to ask you is what did you uh, listen to when you were in high school? Oh, you come right out. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, Ooh, when I was in high school, it was mostly, mm, well, the cornerstone of my high school listening was P-Funk. Really? Okay. Uh, Mothership Connection, uh, Funk and Telekey versus the placebo syndrome. Um, you know. Uh, the Crohn's of Dr. Funkenstein, um, Motor Booty Affair. But, but you know, and then, like, that was the core. But then, you know, it was Bootsy, Bootsy, all the Bootsy, you know, the first three Bootsy, uh, stretching out and Bootsy dropping back. Did you, is this the answer you, am I? <laughs> Oh, and I mean, I'm giving you specific examples. I'm I'm expecting something a little bit noisier, actually. Really? Because there seems to be a propensity towards noise in the. Theater. Well, that came later. You said high that, school. That came Okay. Yeah. Well, I was kind of building on that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like what we do early on kind of, you know, creates a, a, a taste for us, you know, or like a capability to stand a certain kind of noise level. But uh, let me yeah. let, let's go there. Yeah. So high school, the noise was Hendrix, Hendrix okay. and his feedback. Uh -huh. When yeah. Hendrix played his feedback, yeah, yeah, I, I was there for that. Yeah, and yeah. I'm not and I'm not complaining about. I'm I'm saying yeah. like the the ability to use that to your to your advantage, you know, within the films, to where you push the viewer sometimes to engage with the imagery and sometimes, at least that's yeah. what I, what I was sure sure. Sometimes I leave the imagery and go to the sonically what was happening, you know, in, within the piece. Um, right. And I think I found that especially. Well, I find I don't. I don't, I don't know if we're going to talk about all the films, but the I don't remember the titles. But Reckless Eyeballing, and then the one which is about the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh -huh. Reckless eyeballing and then a willing suspension of disbelief in photography and fiction. Yeah. I find those to be really connected, not only because of the black and white, just because of the. It seems like the photo politics that are that are within those two films. Love that phrase. I've never heard it. photo politics. Photo politics. That's that's the only thing I could come up with. You know, no. but, but yeah. Is that yours? 
Yeah. 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 Good job. That's sweet, man. Okay, all right. Well, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, what do you, well, okay. I'm going to say I'm going to read this, and this will be it, and I'll shut up, because people need to come in okay. and talk. Well, a little okay. bit, idea, but go ahead. So, with reckless eyeballing, um, I wrote down propaganda, desire, reconstruction, black power movement, black exploitation, beautiful technique, sculptural slash textural haptic, angles, so therefore angularity. Process the presence of a record hitting the end, and the last thing I wrote was hip hypnosis. Oh, man. Okay, so I don't know. I feel no, that's, I look, I, that's. Can you send that to me? <laughs> you, have, you say that to everybody. No, 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 no. You no, have no. the last person to send no, that to you. No, no. And I, I, actually, I did, but but how did you know that? I but that was better. Actually, I do want it all, though. I have to admit, I want it all. Okay. <laughs> but, but, but no, that was uh, so. Do you want me to respond to that, or is it, okay, just go wherever? Any, any of those? Yeah. Can you read it again? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Propaganda, desire, reconstruction, the Black Power Movement, the Black Liberation Movement, Black exploitation, beautiful technique, sculptural slash textural haptic. Angle, angles, so therefore angularity, process, dash, the presence of a record hitting the end, and then hypnosis. Okay, so for me, all of that's wonderful. The two parts that jump out to me are desire and hypnosis. Mm. Uh, particularly desire, because like it's weird, I made this film in 2004 and I hadn't heard of like Afro-pessimism or anything, but like I think, I think because I was like really thinking about like how, like in my experience growing up in the United States uh, as a racialized post-colonial subject, like the whole thing about anti-blackness and white supremacy is like to me it's, it's like it's about desire. Mm. Uh, on some fundamental level, I'm like in a way, that's kind of like what I understand out of so-called Afro-pessimism that I, I, I'm reading today. But like, I I don't know, like if I mean, I guess certainly I had read Fanon, you know, and probably Fanon is one of the cornerstones of, of so-called Afro-pessimism. But like. I don't know, the, the amount of like projection and denial and disavowal that I encounter on a daily basis is just profound to me. And um, I see it projected all through like the history of cinema. And, and then I see US history shot through with the history of cinema, at least like since the advent of cinema. Like, So like I have this thing where I feel like what we really, because like we, I think of uh, I think of human beings as sort of like uh, discourse creatures, and like well we like we're like magically manipulating um, discourse and representation and symbols all the time, like that's what we that's how we be in the world, and. So like, you know, our politics and our political discourses are shot through with nothing but like projections and disavows and denials and stuff around desire. Because like to me, desire is not a simple thing. Desire, you know, and I, I'm sure I, this is not, I'm not pretending it's original, but I, it's what I've arrived at for myself, you know, and for me, desire is not a simple, simple thing in that it's like fundamentally, it's deeply um, conflicted. In other words, like the thing about desire is like the the it, it always has it can't you can't have it without like dread, like because like either you won't get the thing you desire or you get it and you lose it. Mm 
Boy, I sound neurotic, don't I? <laughs> I am neurotic, I will admit. Uh, it's difficult to struggle with these kinds of neuroses, but I think everybody's like that. Like, I think that's like, quote unquote, a so-called human condition. But like, anti-blackness and white supremacy is shot through with that. Like, there's this, you know, dread of the phobic object of blackness and the outlaw figure of the black, you know, the way racialized subjects are, therefore, to be racialized is to be criminalized, right? And, you know, like you're, as a, as a black person, you're always already um, outside the law, whether you want to be or not. You know, that's why for you and I, there's no such thing as a quote unquote routine traffic stop. There just isn't. Every traffic stop for us is a major life event. I, I, when I hear the phrase routine traffic stop, I marvel and I, I, I'm envious. I'm like, what? I wish I could have a routine traffic stop. <laughs> I wish I could be yeah. bored doing a traffic stop. Yeah. 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 Well, one of the things that I found, you, you know, and again, I hate to go back to the, to the earlier thing. Don't worry about uh, it. Go back. But you said that one of the reasons you used the Pram Greer image was that you there was a kind of attraction to the pamper. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no, I mean, which is obvious. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Not, uh, not obvious that you, yeah. but mm -hmm. she, yeah, she's attractive to you. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm thinking of the, the guy's name. Oh, gosh. He wrote, um, it's terrible that I can't rem remember his name right now. He basically, um, Cedric. Uh, Cedric Robinson. Cedric Robinson. Yes, and I did read that piece. And you have read that piece? Yes. Okay. Yeah, which, you know, maybe people in the audience have read it too, maybe some haven't, but basically it talks about um, the conflation that happens between um, the image of Angela Davis and, or Kathleen Cleaver, and, um, and the image of Pam Greer. And this is kind of serving, you know, these two images, once Pam Greer hits the, the, the stage or the screen, you know, there's a kind of like a, discombobulation happens right with um a perverting of the politics of this you know these images that she was originally in right in terms of the afro in terms of the black leather in terms of the gun mm -hmm. right um and so that's and, and that was kind of the you know what led me to the term photo politics right which i think you pick up later on in in the disbelief film mm -hmm. um but yeah so so you have read that okay so that was that was yeah yeah, but it's weird because I read it like after I decided to make the film. Like while I was yeah. already. Well, no, that's not true. I wrote a paper. This is when I was still did, went to a scholarly conference. I was still like going to conferences and reading papers. I stopped that long time ago. Yeah, it was just a drain. It was enough for me to try to make films. And I'm up here. You know, I'm not a scholar. I don't publish. I don't write. And for some reason, I was like, why am I going to conferences reading papers? when I could be making film, and then so I stopped. But at the time, I wrote a paper about uh, Pam Greer and Angela Davis. What I, so while I was working on that paper, I came across Robinson's mm -hmm. essay, and then, you know, I decided to make the film. But I was already, the reason I found Robinson's essay is because I was searching for stuff on Greer and Davis. Isn't that the right so I was already thinking, and he just confirmed, but, he just, you know, he 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 he'd already done the work, so yeah, I just yeah. reference cited him, and then I. But so it was there, but I, I it was something I had already picked up on, so it was like there's just a nice confirmation more than yeah. anything else. Yeah, and I believe, I mean, I believe that's, I believe the artistic process leads you to breakthroughs like that, whether it's academic. Right. But um, but one of the other things I'm thinking about with that film is the um, so the the connection between. Um, Birth of a Nation and that whole movement of black sports, you know, in, in regards to, to his essay, in that whole kind of movement of black sportation films, right? So Birth of a Nation, you know, you can talk about this a little, you know, more, um, but was really, you know, considered to be a film that was to, to control um, kind of uh, black movement within Reconstruction, like around the Reconstruction era or time, right? Okay. So images which are supposed to control movement, right, and control thought, therefore. Um, black exploitation, a similar thing kind of goes on, right? Um, and so again, yeah, I was just kind of kind of really uh, connecting those dots in, in terms of, of watching your, your film. Um, 
Is that a question? No, I mean, oh, okay. that's, that was something okay. that, yeah, that, that I really enjoyed. But I guess one of the questions I had, too, is um, so that the, that first film, like the, the, the textural nature of that first film, which, which is almost, which I think is all, which is all sculptural, mm -hmm. um, where does that sensibility come from? You know, like how did, how did that come to you? Well, that's, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, I'm not 100% sure where the, the actual wanting to use the film strip in a sculptural way comes. I mean, the easy answer is that there's a long tradition of experimental filmmakers who work directly on the emulsion, and I, I was seeing and being influenced by a lot of that work, no doubt. Um, it didn't seem drawn on though, right? Like no, it seems no. like it's No, well what you're seeing in that film is not it's not done by hand. It's photochemical. Okay. So when you see like the texture on the film strip, that's all caused by an sort of a intervention within the actual photochemical process of developing the film. Where it's a it's something that people call solarization, but it's really called the Sabatier effect. And all it is is when when the so I hand processed mo most of the film myself instead of sending it to a lab. I just put the film directly into buckets of chemistry developer, and you, you you develop it for a certain amount of time. But you do all this in the dark, in complete darkness. But for these effects, I'm getting I'm getting a little bit in the weeds technically. I hope you don't mind. For these effects, when it's in the developer, you simply turn on the overhead lights and flash it for like a millisecond off and on, and that's what causes whatever parts of the film strip gets hit by the light will be, will reverse tonality. But since it's unevenly distributed, what you are seeing is the, basically the way light is sculpturing the silver halide crystals in the emulsions. So it's like actual, you know, it's actual, um, silver particles in the film strip that, that is used for this kind of, for conventional filmmaking that's not digital. So it's actually, you know, a physical substance on the film strip where the image is embedded. And so the light is interacting with the chemistry and the silver in irregular, Im uh, imperfect, uh, erratic ways. And that, that's what I most embrace about working this way is the irregularity and the imperfection of it. I'm really drawn to that. And is that, uh, does that carry over into the sound as well, of the sound within films or your approach to using using sound within the film? Yeah, uh, I try, I try to, okay. I try to, yeah. Yeah, because, um, you know, again, I. I, one of the first things I asked you that question in the, in the beginning, um, what did you listen to in high school? And I don't know how old you are. You could be, you know, but I'm not. I, I, I got to be honest, I'm older than I like to say. <laughs> Only because, like, you know, it's still true that, like, I don't know, if you leave that mysterious, like, it's good for your career. It is, yeah. <laughs> I'm real crass and practical in that way. I mean, so, but, yeah. but, but one of the things that I was thinking about is, you know, and I, I, I think this was in the, the pin light, I'm sorry, the pinhole film, mm -hmm. where I started thinking about, about you as a crate digger, right? Like, um, as, as not a person who's only kind of working with found images, but a person who's really kind of, kind of pursuing it and working with found sound. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So, um, so that's why I see that the question in the beginning, because you know, I really feel like that comes out of people who kind of grow up listening to hip hop, right? And it's and it's it's uh it's something which just becomes part of our framework of, that we kind of engage creative, creative. You know what I'm saying? So okay. yeah, that's what. Well, I mean, I, I was never a huge so. Truthfully, I was talking to Peter about this earlier. I was never a huge hip hop head, but the hip hop I did listen to was highly effective and affective and influential for me. So there was a there was a relatively small bandwidth of it, but it was so good that I couldn't 
like it was a, it got me. It, infect, it, it was infectious, and uh, I really assimilated those hip hop sort of cut and paste collage aesthetics of the DJ. Like I really dug that part of it, mm -hmm. the artistry of it. So like, but see, I am I am I'm clearly older than you because that stuff came way later after I was out of high school. Okay. So that was like for me the only hip hop I really really dug like love was Public Enemy, uh, Three Feet High and Rising, and uh, Eric B and Rakim. R uh, Rakim's flow is still to me to this day I'm not like I know there are other people who make, but he's the goat for me. Like I, when I hear every other rapper, I was like, well. He's good, but he's no like Yeah. What? Again, I asked that just because of the the collage aesthetic that uh, that's partially in the film, right? And and the just the uh, um, the way that you do it in the finesse. But, but I will say, sonically, I do I do take inspiration from from the hip hop yeah. DJ. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely do. Yeah. Okay. And are you working? You know, this is kind of going off the, into the weeds a little bit, but are you working strictly on the screen, or you work with like hardware in terms of your sound, or well, for what? Like the first few films, everything was uh, like, say for record eyeballing, it was all like I'm using either vinyl or audio cassette. Like that was like as low tech as it could. I, I had this thing about I wanted. I like my technology as low tech as possible. Can you can you talk about that? Like why 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 that? Low tech and low fi well, because, you know, I have this, <laughs> there, that's, there are a lot of reasons. One of them is because, like, I'm really, like, how can I say this without sounding too cranky and get off my lawn or shit? <laughs> I, uh, I, I can't do it, so I'm going to just have to sound that way. Uh, I have this thing, like, I'm not really into, like, the idea of, technological progress. I find it really ideological suspect, ideologically suspect. And that is because, like, to, for me, like, every new wave of technology, there's, like, this technological mess, messianism that, like, we're always, it seems like the discourse is always about, like, how the new next wave of technology is going to liberate us, and it's going to, you know, it's gonna like digital democracy and the internet was gonna save us and all this stuff. And like, I'm just like to me, I don't, I've never believed that about any technology. So my thing is like, and I also don't believe in like the idea that that there's. I'm I'm really suspect about certain notions of progress, that there's like a linear development from point A to point B, and point B is superior to point A. Um, I actually think that we're always already where we're going. Okay. You know, I don't think there's somewhere to get to outside of where we are now. Okay. I think what we need to do is reveal where we're going in the, in, in the now, where we are. Yeah, I don't know if that makes sense in any way. What? But, but, but I'm not, a, I don't, like I don't have this teleological notion of progress. I just yeah. don't buy it on any level. Uh, I think, because it's like always deferred. It's always the horizon's over there somewhere. Mm -hmm. And there's a time but, element associated with it. What's that? There's a time element associated with it. Yeah, and I think it's like already like, you, we're already like it's already at hand. We just haven't seized it. I don't think it's like eventually we'll get there, et cetera, et cetera. I think like it's an everyday occurrence of sort of remaking the world on a daily basis. I think it has to be. I don't think there's some like place we're gonna get to. I think this is the place mm -hmm. we're gonna get to, and we've decided that this is the world we're, we made, and we. The, you know, we collectively need to struggle to make another world, but it's not like when or, or someplace in the future. It's like at hand, all at every moment around us. So like, so like, I don't know if this is really speaking to you. No, no, but no like, that, that, all no. of that is like, like I believe in like limited me. Like I don't. 
don't understand enough really to fully make the critiques I want to make because I don't know enough about like global capitalism on that level, on the kind of critique that I want to make. But what I think I know is that we don't, like there's a reification of the idea that we, that we can't change the world because how would we do X? And how would we do Y? And it's like there's a privileging of the world that exists over a world we could have in all those arguments because like the status quo always gets accorded a kind of um, apology, you know, kind of, there's, there's an, a, a sort of an apologist stance for the status quo. Well, it's imperfect, but if we really radically change society, like, <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really going far afield for a question about, like, <laughs> well, we, 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 we but it's all, but it's all, it's all the same thing to me in a way. Yeah. Like, it's part yeah. of my ethos, I guess. And, and, and so, I guess, what, what, what I, what I, what I'm, I've lost the thread, go ahead. Well, what I was thinking, I mean, I, I definitely see what you're, you're, what you're saying in, in regards to artistic creation, right? Uh, if we just kind of reel it into that, to that area, I okay. do think all of our ideas that we're going to have throughout our life are, are, are there, right? Um, we, so basically, um, and this is, this is, <laughs> This is probably we'll get off the subject a little bit. Basically, a friend of mine, a friend of mine and I have a have a theory that all the ideas exist in a little storehouse, <laughs> right? And everybody has access to the storehouse. It's just and they exist in the present moment. It's just you kind of have to go up and get them and bring them down. And that's kind of what we do as artists, right? And they all yeah. exist. They all we all they all exist right now. So, um, but. One of the things that I wanted to ask also in regards to that um, is, well, I don't know if it's, it has to deal with, with the thing with technology, but, but the, the film of the, did you say that was a thing that was in your children's room? Yeah, this was like a nightlight. Yeah. The nightlight. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Um, and then, I, you know, the, the cos cosmological kind of threads through those two films. But also this thing about transformation that exists in your in your film, um, and I I keep going back to this thing about about sculpture because um, you know just within my own work this idea about finding an object and transforming it into something else or finding the material and transforming it into something else is kind of what I really seek to do, um, and I kind of I also found that to be I thought that was important in your films as well. Yeah, um, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just, uh, well, I mean, for some reason, like, I, my, my thought process is collage-like, so, like, whenever I see or hear or think about something, I always try to figure out, like, what is the thing, what is it not supposed to be, uh, you know, like, Okay, so it, it's defined as itself, but what, it, what else is it <laughs> that it's not defined as? And so, and I naturally gravitate towards that. And I say, and I try to look at the world as both itself and not itself at the same time. Like, it's, it, it is itself, but it's something more than that. Like, defining it as itself is really like a reductive thing, but it also could be anything else, and it could be a lot of other things. And so, uh, so like in the two films, the uh, Sunshine State and uh, Bedouin's Park, like I see them and I think to myself, and, and I, candidly, like somebody caught me on it one of the one of the first public screenings of Sunshine State. He mentioned the film that influenced me, where I really latched onto this idea that I loved quite a bit. It's a famous scene in the film by Godard, where he, a character's in a cafe stirring a cup of coffee. And there's bubbles on the top of the coffee, and it's swirling. And the voiceover starts talking about how this is a, a galaxy in this um, cup of coffee. And it's like that idea stayed with me, and like it kind of came back in the form of sunshine. Stayed in another way. I don't have a cup of coffee in there, but that 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 did come from that. I was inspired by that. But like the idea that it is a cup of coffee, but it's also a galaxy, right? Mm -hmm. That that the I guess I, 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 know, I don't know much about poetry and I don't read a lot of poetry. In fact, I don't really get poetry as a thing for the most part. I have, I, I, 
And that's the, I don't think I've ever uh, confessed that publicly because like all of my friends love poetry. And like they're intellectuals and artists and scholars, like, I, you know, I, I love it, you know? Um, but the idea of poetry is really powerful to me. And I, I think of the way that scene functioned in uh, the Godard film as being like the essence of poetry. That it's not that the, the cup of coffee is like a galaxy, it's that it's a cup of coffee and it is a galaxy. That, that's the poetry to me. And that goes yeah. back to what you were saying about what a thing is and what it is not. Yeah. What it can be, you know, trying yeah. to Yeah, yeah, to yeah. exactly. Because like a whole, like a whole, that's what I was sort of saying about the status quo. Like we walk around every day, like, you know, I had this theory that like the whole approach to us, the way we, uh, like our socially constructed versions of reality is like, okay, people, it feels like there's this tacit agreement that people say, all right, I know the world is messed up and everything, but how can we change it as little as possible to improve things? It's like, I like what's the, like what's the least we could do to make the world better? Like it's not, they never want to go like they'll, because I think it's a duty to feel that, again, it's like if you pull one little thing out, the whole thing is going to collapse in on Because like you can't let go of all these other conventions and social norms. So it would be the end of the world. Yeah. It, well, but see, like, I want the end of the world. I know. Right. Yeah. That's the thing. And like, but yeah, I, well, think, that, I think I'm just a, in a small group of people there. Yeah. Well, no, I, don't, I mean, <laughs> as you were saying that, I was thinking about the go slow. Thing, right, like yeah, yeah. the civil rights kind of like mantra of, of go slow, and um, yeah. So one of the things too um, that I want to ask you about in regards to the film, how in fact is that yeah, how in fact? Yeah. Did you do the references? Did you did you check any references on the the the, uh, the, the song lyrics? Well, like, I did. I did read the lyrics. I did get the lyrics, but I actually. There's a, I couldn't find much about that. Yeah, there's probably there's hardly anything on the internet about it. And that word, that word, how am I Yeah. I don't know what it means. I, I only, it only, as far as I know, appears in that song. In that song. That's interesting. You know, as far as I know. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this book. Um, I think it's called Mojo Working. And basically, this it's about the idea that um, there was a belief system before mass conversion to Christianity of black folks. And this belief system was essentially a mixture of West African uh, beliefs, indigenous beliefs, and, and, and European beliefs. And that's what made up hoodoo. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and, uh, and so I was you know, just listening to her, you know, the, to the, some of the lyrics in the song, and I was wondering, did, did it refer to anything? Yeah, if, if you were able to well, I mean, my whole thing about hoodoo is like I, I, I get most of my hoodoo lessons from Ishmael Reed because he really does study hoodoo deep. He does like, study. Yeah. Okay. I saw him at a, um, a, a talk, uh, a, a book event, and he was talking about a group of people in New Orleans that he went and, and studied with. Right. He, he, okay. And I asked him about it. Like I, I, I bought one of his books and brought up the sign. I said, "Hey, about those people in New Orleans, what, what can you do?" It was like I wasn't even there. <laughs> like he was, he was gregarious and signed the book. I asked about that. He was like, "Yeah." He just, I was gone. I was dismissed. Like it was just like, yeah. So there's something there that he's not really. But what I read from Ishmael Reed. That's where I, that's where I like that, that's my understanding and attraction to who the United States. And one of the things he says, and I'm really paraphrasing roughly, so forgive me, is that uh, at least you know black people in the United States, what they in effect what you were saying that they practice a sort of hybrid version, but but more than hybrid, that it's more an improvised that it's that it is a practice, but it's. It's more of an improvised practice. Okay. Yeah, that it's it's more kind of constructed on the fly and on the run. It's 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 the same cosmology, but it's a different brand or different approach or something. So, in in it's, that song is there's a lot of sexual references in that song. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I take from it. Yeah, <laughs> but but one other thing.
thing about that. Like when I look up the lyrics, it's not clear to me because I think they print. They don't. I'm not sure how. I think they actually write out W H O D O. Oh, but I don't think that's right. Oh, I don't yeah, think yeah, I don't yeah. think it's who do. I think it's hoodoo. Yeah, yeah. But in any way, from in my film, it's hoodoo. It's not hoodoo. But yeah. like usually, I think that when I seen the lyrics printed out, that's what I seen. I may be wrong about. That's what I seem to remember. That's interesting. Yeah. So I don't know if that's correct. I don't know if she ever wrote out the lyrics or anything. But I don't. I don't know who transcribed that. I don't know if that was her. I don't even know if the lyrics are transcribable because like she took it, got it all signed. I don't think it was ever written down anyway. Right. Yeah. Right. right. And uh, it was kind of an embodiment thing, right? Like she, she didn't write it down. She just learned them. Yeah. And she sang them and they could have differed from region to region. Yeah. So right, it, right. It's, it is similar to what you were saying about the unstable image. Yeah. Like yeah. These songs are very, they're, they're very uh, fugitive. Yes. 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 Well, do we, should we open it up to... I'm happy to do that. I got one. How you doing? Good afternoon. Um, my name is AB. Um, I'm here from Houston, Texas, and Northside uh, Homestead. The films really made my day much better, man. You know. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, for real, because I've been having a terrible day, but it made me feel so much better from the beginning to the ninth inning. So, like, I, I wanted to know what was the rules that you broke on the last film because you oh. said that there was something that happened in the one that, that you shot in 2022. Yeah. Well, thank you for that question. Um, so they had a set of guidelines. I don't remember them all, but they were like, well, you, they, the film needs to be shot in one day. You should find a way of letting us know, I think, like the date in, within the film itself. And I think they said shot in one day. I can't remember. It was supposed to be like two minutes exactly, you know, two minutes or less. And there were a bunch of other things. I don't think I did any of that. Like, I, I don't think I did any of. I have to. I could look it up, but I, I don't. I don't think I did any of it. But then it turned out like most of the artists didn't do it. But like, I had an idea in mind. But then when the pandemic started that like I was I was gonna go to Chicago and shoot a site specific work. There's I was gonna shoot a I was gonna shoot a video of the pavement as close to or if I could identify the exact spot of this pavement on the street, the asphalt on the street where Laquan McDonald's body was laying after he was murdered by the Chicago Police Department. So I was, my idea was to have the, the, a digital, it was gonna be my first digital, I was gonna try to do a digital, have the, somehow mount the camera to the side of the car, point it down at the asphalt on that spot and start the film there. And I was just going to shoot and then drive using Google, Google, um, maps to direct me from that spot to city hall but never cut from the pavement and now i knew it was going to be a two-minute film so i was going to compress all that into two minutes i was either going to speed it up or layer it or somehow compress that time was that the police recording that you used from his no no that was that was actually from the uprisings in may of 2020 in chicago so that was like the live feed but I took like two and a half hours of police scanner audio and condensed it down to two and a half minutes. <laughs> so I actually had a, like 10 and a half minutes of it that I condensed down. I had to cut out the other eight minutes. And that, that was hard. As, as it was incredibly hard to get to that two and a half minutes. Because like one thing I found out is if you layer too much sound, it all becomes unintelligible. Like you can't make out anything. So I had to, I couldn't use it all. I had to pick and choose. And I had to tr strategically open up space in my timeline, my, my premiere timeline for certain words to pop so that you can make them out. But uh, yeah, so that was going to be one day. And I think I was going to try to find a way for the date to be mentioned in the Google. I didn't know if I could do it. 
Anyway, that was going to be the soundtrack of turn right, drive, X, you know, one point, and one point one. You know how when you use Google, it tells you when to turn. Oh, that was going to be the voiceover, and all you're going to see is the pavement. And it's just going to take you to City Hall. Because those are people who covered up his murder. Um, but I ended up not doing that because I didn't want to drive from Iowa, where I live now, to Chicago, and be stopping at like gap, bathroom, gas stations in the middle of a pandemic. Because yeah. this was way, this was like right when the pandemic in May, and, and the pandemic had just really got to the U.S. in March. So I got a question that has nothing to do with nothing that anybody wants to hear about, but at approximately 9:03 tonight, you took your mask off. And then in 904, you put it back on. I just want to say, that was a very confusing moment. <laughs> well, I noticed after a while when I sat up here, I said to myself, my mask is upside down. <laughs> and I'm like, dang, there's no slick way to like fix it where you're not going to. I said, screw it. I turned this thing right back. Because it was bothering me. It was bothering me. Anyway, so that clears up the confusion. Yeah, I, mean, I hope that clears everything up. <laughs> Any other questions? Oh, that's Leah. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> we get down to the nitty gritty here in the row of pictures. So. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to be one of those, you like audience, I'm going to be one of those annoying audience members that ask like a question that's really a long ass conversation. Go ahead and do so that. Let me just go ahead and be that friend, person. We're friends. We're friends. It's cool. Fair warning to everybody listening. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about the first film. And I don't know if there's just like a kind of charm. I like, I like old things. So, you know, and like your interest in the archive, like that just strongly resonates with me. Um, and so like, I'm, I'm gonna get to the question, I promise. <laughs> I'm thinking about this film and like hypnosis and the black and white and the sort of like idea of like the spinning black and white circle and like the content of the work, which is like really about rape, you know? So like hypnosis and sexual violence in the United States is like how I'm reading a film. Yeah, you know? okay, yes, yeah, go ahead, go okay. on. So, you know, like you talk about desire and I'm thinking about like state desire, like the desire of what is the United States of America and then like the poignant representation or what I'm thinking as, as a kind of evil eye or talisman in this film is like these black women. <laughs> right? Like, as an anti-rape, like, anti-rape iconography, like, anti-rape motif, like, you know, so, like, it's not only, it, it's, like, the dealing with sexual violence and hypnosis that I'm, like, interested in. And, I, you know, like, it was 2004, so I'm just curious about, like, can you remember? Like, it's, it's just really profound now like with joe biden as president after you know donald trump and bill clinton and like i just it's 2004 so i'm just doing a lot of like kind of political tracking and thinking about you as a filmmaker and just kind of want to ask you like do you remember what the heck was going on with you when you were making that because there's a lot of really just powerful things happening there wow okay thank you for that uh <laughs> I'm trying to hold the threads because there's several things you said. I, I mean, can I have that paperback? I mean, I have that so I can take notes and I, I don't, I don't remember the thing. But I may ask you to repeat some of what you asked or said. Uh, first of all, I just want to really briefly speak to the idea of the archive because it's really interesting now to me because when I made the film, nobody's really talking about the archive, and like now everybody's talking about the archive. But what's interesting to me is like. It makes me realize that I have, there are certain critical languages that have emerged in the last 20 years since I started making films that actually help and give, a, there's a critical language for the kind of work I make that didn't as fully exist at the time. Most of the critical language was from maybe, at the most, maybe like from the 
so-called experimental avant-garde filmmaking world or milieu. And a lot of that language was insufficient for what I was wanting to do. Even though I was coming out of that, a lot of my training and methods and inspirations where I was responding to was a lot of it inspired formally and aesthetically by that work. It wasn't, the language used for that work wasn't really, um, didn't really get at what I was doing so much as now the, the disco. So that's just one thought. Um, the other thing is like, you know, you talk about Trump and Clinton and Biden and like, to me, the thing about, the reason why you can think about this film, in, in, my, in my opinion, the reason you can think about, say, Reckless Eyeball in the context of, you know, that more contemporary history and the contemporary moment is because, like, the film is contemporary. Like, in, it, in, its, in its, like, archival reach and references, in its digging around in the past, it's digging around in things that, this is sort of what I was talking about before, earlier, it's like, I can't, I really do think of, like, the American history is being like an ongoing moment rather than a past, a present, and a future. It's like, it's, that film is about right now. Even though I'm activating archival imagery and sounds and art and references, it's not about the past. It's about now. Yeah, yeah. I'm using visual and sonic references from the past to really talk about what's happening now. The other thing is the sexual violence in it is definitely about that. I mean, it's not a lot of conversation about that when I when I saw the film, but it's definitely about that. And one of the things, but it's but it's really I mean, so like the film I'm working on now, I keep telling, you know, I have to keep reminding myself, okay, it's gotta be really, really brutal. Um because a lot of the conversation around record cyborg doesn't go where the implications of the film goes. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe I now need, I need it. It might really turn off a lot of people if I get as brutal as I feel like I need to be. Well, I'm not mired in wallowing in it, but like really like trying to sharpen some of my, my um, critique and edges in the, in the film and so like, but the reason I say that is like all the way down to, you know, I mentioned Paul Robeson before, but you know, that, that last bit about put out the light and then put out the light is Robeson as Othello, right before he murders Desdemona. But if, you know, of course the role of Othello in the U.S. context anyway was almost, until Robeson was almost always played as a, with, by a white actor in blackface. Which is, which is the... Exactly. Which Walter Long in Birth of a Nation, the renegade Gus, the renegade soldier, Union soldier, is a white actor in blackface. So that's what I mean when I talk about projection, of the desire, like this whole idea about projection and disavowal, like that sexual violence is projected onto the figure of this like renegade Negro who, you know, if you emancipate black people, the first thing they're gonna do is rape, rape your women, and, and you know, and whatever, plunder, you know, which is like that's the contemporary moment because like the whole subtext of the reason that we know, right? Historically, like, talk, let's talk about like the the, you know, this whole idea of like mass shootings and and, and the gun control. Like the whole subtext of that is nobody is worried about gun control until the Black Panthers got guns. And then when black people got guns and said, we're gonna exercise our constitutional gun rights, that's when gun control is very targeted and very specific where black people live. We have gun control there. That's why, that's another pre pretext for locking up black people. But really, like the whole subtext of what well, we don't want them to take away our guns because then we won't be able to resist a tyrannical government. And what's tyrannical government? Tyrannical government is when oppressed people have rights. That's tyranny in the United States, U.S. context. So really this idea of like all this sexual violence is really tied up in 
to me, the still idea of the contemporary moment. It's not a historical thing. And it's an idea of projection in that you have this black, historically a white actor in blackface murdering his white wife out of sexual jealousy. Uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but like, yeah. Like I said, Okay. Like I said, it's the start yeah. of a conversation. Because, yeah. you know, I want to talk about Pam Greer. Yeah. And I want to talk about Angela Davis. Yeah. Because in that equation, right, like if you're talking about men and the implications for, like, white men protecting white women, right, what is the relationship between thinking about how black men are represented and also how black women represent themselves and then black exploitation, like the, the, the resistance to images of black women in a particular way, and on and on and on. So that's why it's, yeah. that's why so, it's just a start. I, yeah, I, I'll just briefly say like, one of the inspirations for the film was an essay by Angela Davis called Afro Images. And she talked about the idea of herself being, her personhood being sort of reduced to um, the iconography of the Afro. You know, like she had this whole political profile, this whole, you know, and, and she, you know, she was herself, she was a person. And she realized that at a certain point, she, in the, the, the her public persona was not at that, as that of a, an actual living person, but it was more like that she, her persona was iconography. It was, it was like you said, the, the leather jacket, the afro, the gun, like that became her persona. Irrespective of like anything she, it was completely out of her control, it was unmoored and in circulation. And so that, that essay was one of the um, inspirations for the film. But also, you know, the Cedric Robinson essay was important because he talked about how like Pam Greer in those black exploitation films, I mean, it's really important to, to know, to, I think, that Pam Greer was at the height of her fame. She was one of the top box office draws in, in uh, American Hollywood cinema. At the exact same moment that Angela Davis is hiding out and underground and it's in the you know most wanted by the FBI. Like Greer's box office stardom is happening. Like you could you could read the paper in the morning a headline about Pam Greer and the and the the hunt the FBI hunt for her, and then you could put the paper down and go see Foxy Brown. Like on the same that like. That's how, and so there was this sort of mirroring and twinning of the contemporary moment of the hunt for Ezra Davis and the borrowed iconography. I would say rather self-consciously by the filmmakers, they were leaning on the well, iconography. She was presented, she was presented to, to the viewers, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scantily, you know. Yeah, all of that. So like, and, and, and Robinson's argument is that like, it was the iconography of Pam Greer, I mean, of, of Davis, minus the, the militant politics, plus the hypersexualization. So it was like that same iconography sort of flipped on its head. Yeah. So anyway, but it is a long comment. There's a lot of, a lot of elements there, yeah. And, I, and, and one last thing, I intentionally set in motion a lot of crisscrossing connections and thoughts and ideas without re trying to resolve them for myself or within the film. I actually, it's your response that is exactly where I hope the film is sort of taken further in the response like yours rather than resolved in the film. Because it's all unstable, like there's a lot of floating signifiers and it's never pinned down, you know, like Quite literally, the only white woman you see in the film is literally a white silhouette of of Pam Greer, like the the white woman that is visually represented in the film, right? And and Pam Greer stands in and as does Angela Davis for the white woman. But what does that mean? And like visually, like for example, what does it mean to have a white actor in blackface when that is inverted into negative? Like there's a so like the whole thing is unstable and slippery and that's what I wanted to, I don't want it to be fully resolved by the film because I don't think it's fully resolved. I think it's all inchoate and always like sort of churning 
and rubbing up against itself and like and turning over constantly. Yeah, I don't think it, I don't think it's fixed at all. And that's the way these things function. I, mean, I think that's part of the power is that they're unstable and they're slippery and they can always be seized and re-energized in new and used in new ways, you know, to really nefarious ends, you know, for the most part, it seems. I gotta say, I know I said that was a, like, I'm just, you just, you got me going, but one thing I think, I think, like, it's just weird to me, like, the right wing in this country is so much better at yeah. semiotics than the rest of us. We out here. Like, like, What's up? They they know they understand semiotics. Like it's like they've been going to you know Brown University or somewhere <laughs> majoring in semiotics. Like what the hell have we been doing? Like we we over here talking about like laws and shit, and they're talking about they're talking about signs and symbols. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Anyway, so that to me like that's that's where we're not engaging them on the battlefield of 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 of. of um, of semiotics, like actually, I mean, it's almost like you know, you know, the Black Panthers had they had like uh, the minister of, of defense and minister of propaganda. We need a minister of semiotics, so we need a bunch of them. <laughs> fast stack, get on the case anyway. So yeah, that's what you make me think about that question. Um, I love where this conversation is going, and what my hope is is that we can. Take it outside. Okay. Thank we you so much, more. everyone. Thank you, thank you both for all Thank you, Jamal. That was really, really nice. Thank you. And I'll be real quick. All of you should have uh, gotten an Aurora calendar on your chair. Please take a look at what's coming up next. We have a screening in collaboration with the CAM, um, showing a feature work of Mariah Garnett. So please join us in a few weeks for that one. And thanks again for coming. And please, please hang on outside.
be all together. That's funny. That's Mark Fury? Yes, me, baby. Mark? Mikey Mark? First of all, I have to take my pants. I ain't seen you in a minute, cuz. Yeah, I was at the uh, collective earlier today.